Have you ever heard the expression, there's no there there? Well, let's ask the question, is there there there? That's our podcast from the full-service digital storytelling agency, Graphic Machine. I'm Matt Staub. I'm a partner here at Graphic Machine, here with the other two partners of Graphic Machine, Patience Jones. Hello. Brian Jones. Hello. This week is episode 55, the No Free Lunch Edition. On the internet, you know that you're giving away some things to get some value. Everybody's got this expectation that everything on the internet should be free, but are we giving away more than we should for what we're getting back? Would it be better if we paid? And then how does that transition into real life? When we give things away to get something back, are we making sure that we're getting the right amount of value? What do you think about the quality of the transaction right now? And how do people think about it if they do think about it when it comes to, am I giving up too much or not enough value? How do you think that debate is happening today? Or is it not happening at all? I don't think it's happening much at all in the offline world. When you go into a store, I don't think you necessarily consciously say, what am I getting out of giving you my zip code or my phone number or whatever the piece of information that they ask for? What I think you feel is like, God, I'm exhausted and I wish this transaction was over already. (laughs) It tends to be something that you find in bigger chain stores that they tend to ask more of you all the time and it seems to expand with every transaction. It's not like your experience as a customer is being significantly improved because they have all this additional information about you. You know, like, oh, we know that this many people come from this zip code, so let's do X, Y. It's that they are just collecting it. They're using it for some other purpose that probably has little to do with you or it's just to market to you further. And it is exhausting. I asked, I don't know, years ago, I asked somebody when they first started It was at the container store because the container store, notorious every time you shop there. Can I have your phone number? Can I have your address? Can I have your email? And if you say no, they're like, but really, can't I really have it? Because I really, I would love to have it. So I finally just asked, what are you doing with this information? Why do you want it? And it was interesting, the reaction, because the salesperson got really upset that I asked. And her response was, don't you trust me? (laughs) Actually, no, I don't even know you. Yeah. And and because in a retail environment, you pretty much can assume that's for their purposes to retarget you and get more demographics about who their customers are and know how they're doing. But when you're on a Google or a Facebook, you trade value for that utility. But that kind of is the product. The data is the product. That's the value exchange. But this is all just stuff they can't use to make your experience better or trade for cheaper clothes. I wonder if you... We're at a store and they give you a little board and it said zip code, phone number, email, and there's a little peel coupon that you could pull off and you basically get $5 for giving your email. You get $10 for giving your zip code. And these are But that's the problem though, right? Because Google can sell that information or get valuable insights from that information in a way that the Gap can't Mm because the Gap can't sell the data. They just use it to try to get you back in the store. So it's not like we can make $5 off of this and then pass that savings on to you by making $5 cheaper jeans. Old Navy is probably the leader in that space as far as the big stores that are out there about getting you to give up information willingly, but then giving you an immediate reward for giving up that information. And to think about how it applies to something like Google or Facebook, I think the brick and mortar equivalent would be if I walked into the container store and I got to leave with 16 custom bins without paying for them because I gave them my social security number and my name and my address. If I gave them all that information and then they said, oh no, now you have to pay for these, then that's when I would get upset 
conversely, if I don't want to give them the information, then I could pay the $16 or whatever it is. But here's the distinction, and this is a great human bias, because we're sitting there and we're in that transaction checkout process, and they ask us a few questions, and it feels super invasive. But if we say the connect with Facebook button, and it says, all right, this will log you into this app, it's going to pass along these 10 different things, you're like, okay. I mean, we don't think of it because it's so seamless. Which is why I think if you're a retail store, you should be looking at ways to integrate that into your real-world checkout. I think this is where the largest untapped market, and if you have a small retail shop to a large retail shop, you should be investigating ways to bring that part into your store. To your point, you get all the marketing benefit of having all that information, but you also lose the frustration that you often cause your customer. But is there just not enough value there because it's really just for them unless you start selling like targeted ads on the walls of your gap, knowing what you have in your store or changing the configuration? Say I went into a store and I could shop with Facebook inside of a store and pay using that configuration. I would be happy because I would know, one, you keep track of my transactions. Two, you would offer me maybe special deals that you weren't offering to everyone else that were targeted to me. And it might forge a new relationship that... I might not otherwise have with that store. Also, as the brand, if you are collecting all of that data, you are able to negotiate better ads for yourself, better placement, better corporate sponsorship, because you have something to measure it against. If somebody comes in and says, okay, Gap, the value of your sweater being in our movie is X number of dollars, you can look at all of the demographics about your customers and decide whether you think that's fair or not. It's easier to see where the value comes in for an online provider than it is for the retailer. What are ways that the retailers then can use this to customize experiences beyond what you kind of said? Just providing utility in exchange for information. Is there a way in the future you foresee? Because Brian, this is your big thing in the store of the future. That's what you kind of thought exercise you like to do. Sure. I think the biggest thing is that it begins to break down the wall. You walk into a store right now and the traditional model is basically you go to a cash wrap and you check out. There are very few stores that don't have it. Apple is probably a very obvious outlier to that. But it's amazing in this day and age when most people don't pay with cash, especially for larger ticket items and even for smaller ticket items, that we still have the traditional cash wrap as a way to check out in a store. It says something about what we think about people. The reason for the cash wrap initially was because it was the secure place to store actual cash. Now, when that isn't the way that most people pay, why do we still have that as our mindset for how we set up a retail store? And the whole store is centered around it. Then what happens if you try to buy an iMac with cash at an Apple store? They have to like take you in a back room somewhere? Probably call the treasury department. (laughs) I mean, they have a very specialized way to deal with it, but it's such a rare occurrence for their safety too, because having actual cash on hand creates an additional security risk for your store. You can customize the experience in the spirit of giving people something back for the exchange of their information. So if you knew, for instance, that you had 25% of your clients like to shop when there's no music in the store, they like maybe a slightly dimmer lighting, then maybe you have a special shopping event that's geared around that and you invite those customers. If you know that somebody likes a particular size, style, you do that too. You know that they like a certain brand of coffee. Maybe you have that at the front as a giveaway. Also for special events, a lot of times with gowns, you don't want to be wearing the same gown as somebody else going to the same event. Oh, yeah. Going into a store and having that pre-registered right now, that is a, a service that is offered by a store. But if you don't buy from the same store, you won't know if you bought the same gown. That opens up the idea of innovation layers on top that potentially have open networks that can register gowns and things like that. So it's not limited to a single store level. No. The integration of your life so you can begin to see yourself either having or owning or using the service or product that you're in the store 
is critical to people acquiring that. Anytime you can break down that wall, it's really helpful. Yeah, I like the idea of apps that float on top of the retail experience that are customizable to the type of shopper you are. And mm-hmm. Imagine, too, if it began to help you connect with other people. A lot of stores now are centered around values and a particular value set that you may hold. We've talked about that with different food restaurants and clothing stores. Now, imagine taking that one step further that these are also part of your life. You may want to know other people that are using that same product or service. So I teased it in the open, and I want to try the other side of this, because the retail side, we expect to provide nothing and don't really see where we get value back. We just expect to pay for everything at full price. On the online side, we really don't think twice about all the value we're giving away and information, and we expect everything to be free. Is that wrongheaded, and are we giving away too much on the online side of things? And how do we think about how we value that and try to bring these two hugely different mindsets closer together and make sense of them? I actually think online, it's pretty close to parity, if not more strongly in favor of the consumer, because you usually get something either in the form of a discount, a coupon, a offer, almost immediately, if not at the moment that you provide the information in your inbox or through social media or through some other means. And so you often immediately feel that satisfaction of, oh, I gave you this piece of information, I got this reward. What about more subtle means like Facebook's and Google's where it's your history and the data of your day-to-day? That's really where you get the value in a more customized experience, more relevant targeted ads. I'm not going to get ads for baby bottles. I'm going to get ads for action cameras because that's more likely what I'm going to buy. So is that enough value? It's a win-win technically because the advertisers are reaching people that might buy their stuff and we're seeing ads for stuff we might want to buy. I'm not sure either that the motivating factor behind people giving the information away online is the thought that they're going to get something so much as it is, I want to be a part of something. I don't want to be left out. So-and-so is asking for my email address. Something is going to happen. Some message is going to go out. Some something's going to go out. I don't want to miss it. Most often, the texts and the call to action say things like, don't miss out, don't miss a sale, don't miss any of our communications. And you don't feel that, at least I don't, in a brick and mortar store. You're not like, oh, I have to give you my phone number because something really great might happen and you have to call me. Don't forget, too, that there's a keyboard tied to the online transaction, usually. And that is huge in reducing the barrier to you providing the information. Whereas you have to actually physically spell your email, that's a horrifying experience. But having to type it in because you've done it a million times is no big thing. Yeah. I was talking more about passive experiences. Mm-hmm. So we're so used to like all of the Google apps being free or Facebook being free or Twitter being free. And they use these because they are a platform by which they can sell ads to us and they have very rich profiles of us because we're giving them all this data. It happens passively through our use of it. Technically, they own our content. If you were to go in a contract negotiation with a platform provider, you might not enter the same terms and you might be willing to spend a little bit to retain your rights. The passive experience is the distinction, I think, because you're giving it away without thinking about it. Nobody ever has to have to ask you or fill something out. And I think that passive experience has become such a part of our day-to-day culture that we now collectively believe that we have a right to it, that it is as intrinsic as the right to free speech or the right to walk outside my office building. The right to free stuff on the internet, you mean? The right to Facebook. The right to I am my friends. The right to tweet. The right to use Instagram. Free of anybody taking anything from me, whether that's data or IP rights. Do you think it's so that we don't actually see the taking? Right. But I think it is exactly to the point, passive, so you don't ever notice. Yeah. I think we all kind of 
grew into it too as a culture. Yeah, there's where, always some like where there's a new terms and conditions and you were like, are you kidding? They're going to do that and then we get over it and then they go a little bit further and right now I feel like you're right, Brian. It's on balance probably a win-win for both sides of the equation but are we like the frog in the boiling pan here? Kind of. Yeah. So will that same sort of slow transition happen in more brick and mortar environments? Will we get more and more comfortable with being asked questions or will that just get more and more digital and automatic so we don't think about it in the same way we don't think about it online? I think it all happens in a layered environment. And I don't think it's like one day we wake up and it's all there. It's sort of the way that Facebook, when it first started, didn't have ads, didn't have mobile, frankly. It became nuanced and layered over time. And I think the same thing happens here. Well, and as a marketer, it's not like we're black hat specialists, right? We love data because it allows us to do our job better and give you better stuff as consumers you know, for our clients. So it's not like it's something where we're trying to force something onto people. I think that that's kind of the undertone of people being afraid of targeted advertising and data-driven advertising. And if you are so inclined to ever sit down with a cup of tea in a privacy policy, you will see that there are two different kinds of information that are collected. One is personally identifiable and one is not. Depending on the site, they are collecting information that identifies you, Matt Staub, went to this page, you looked at this thing. That wasn't me, I swear. Exactly. Versus 30% of the people from this zip code who look at this site have entered this information. It's usually a combination of those two things. Don't you think it was a bit of a stroke of genius, though, especially as the digital companies have come up and offering terms of services that are in the excess of 35 pages, that the basically exhaustive factor of how long they are means that they can essentially get away with putting so much out there. If it was a page, most people would probably read it, although probably not, actually. It's a game of attrition. Yeah, so it's basically like by 35, they put the worst possible things on page 34.3. So that is sometimes true. Mm -hmm. But I will say, in defense of my legal brethren and sisters, if you had terms of service that were just a page, you'd spend your whole life in court because the number of holes would be crazy. And every time a new TNC comes out, it's because somebody found a hole and now they're trying to address the hole. So tack another two pages onto this stupid thing. We'll have to post a link to Patience's interpretation of the last iOS major release terms and conditions because patience is one of those people that actually sits down with her cup of tea <laughs> and reads those so patience i'm curious in that light the big theme we talked about was the retail environment the brick and mortar environment of them asking information from us mm-hmm. how does the same privacy policy get implemented i guess every organization has one and you could ask for it and they publish it somewhere i know when you have a credit card they send it to you when it yeah. changes how does it work when okay i'm going to give you my email address at this Gap store, and I'm going to trust you to use it for these finite amounts of uses, how do they actually declare that and how they limit themselves? And how does a consumer find out what might happen to it? Generally, once you give them your email, they'll start sending you emails. And in those emails, there will be either tiny print or a link to some tiny print that says, this is what we are doing with your email address. If you don't like it, then you can unsubscribe. You tend to not have the option to kind of pick and choose. And because you can opt out, then it's basically, we don't have to guarantee you anything because it's not a requirement for you to adopt our services. You can still buy your cactus. Right, exactly. Okay. There's no right to chinos. <laughs> Fight for your right to chinos. Well, you have a right to move out of this part of the podcast and on to the next one, which is our out there's and there there's. Out there's things we found or were shared with us that we thought were interesting. And there, there's, which were things that didn't go well, could have gone better. And hopefully we can provide some 
constructive criticism. We'll start this week with PJ. PJ, what do you got? I have an out there. It's not a new website, but I recently discovered it and it's threatening to take over my entire life because the content is so good and all I want to do is read it. It's called MessyNessyChic.com. We'll put the link on our site. (laughs) And it's amazing. So this woman, Vanessa, which is where Nessie comes from, she grew up in London and then moved to Paris. And this website is this amazing amalgam of really cool photography, interesting historical things, tidbits. Let's see what's on the first couple posts today. We have... Iceland's secret swimming pools in the valley, the last movie palaces of yesteryear, living like Luke Skywalker, check into the most beautiful insane asylum in the world, and Muscle Beach Girl 1954. So she finds old things, vintage things, new things, lots of photography from her life in Paris, and it's just great. And does she just curate all this content, or is Mm -hmm. she producing it herself? Both. It looks like probably about 60% of it is curated and the other 40% is created. Messy Nessie. Messy Nessie Chic.com. Check that, it out. That is so succinct. Mm-hmm. Messy Nessie Chic.com. I'm going to learn how to say that by the end of the show. <laughs> Brian, while I'm working on that, what's your out there or there there? So mine is in the vein of paying attention to what your customer is telling you. And it's McDonald's Australia versus McDonald's America. McDonald's has been reported pretty widely as having some tough times financially in the United States and has not seen growth in any reasonable way in the last probably four or five years. So McDonald's Australia is in the process of rebooting the entire franchise in Australia. And what they have done is transformed the restaurant experience to be more what people are wanting and expecting. The menu items are completely different. You might find a smashed avocado on toast sort of sandwich, and that might be oh, an option. People bring the food to you as opposed to you waiting at the counter. The way it's served to you looks more like what you would expect at sort of an upscale bistro. But I bring it up not because yay or nay McDonald's, but more about how they took customer information. They said, oh, we see what customers are asking for, and we're going to transform that experience to be for them. This is something that I think McDonald's America has done a pretty lousy job at doing. They do it in very topical ways, like free Wi-Fi. Well, that doesn't really solve the problem. The experience of going to McDonald's hasn't changed really all that much. You go to the counter, you order your food, you get your food, you go sit down. There isn't really anything big or different about it. They may add on new their McCafe and some other things like that, but at core hasn't really changed. I wonder how much the American influence in the creation of McDonald's impacts the reluctance to change here versus in Australia. Here, McDonald's, the the very point of it was that it was the same everywhere. And you could do your long cross-country drives and there was always one that wasn't too far away especially if you had kids, you knew, okay, we know what we're going to get. We know what's on the menu. You go and get the food yourself because then you're not beholden to anybody else. You can come and go as you please. I wonder if that's your DNA, how much you can change that versus in Australia where it may not be so much of their DNA. You can still make the promise of consistency by changing the model, but it becomes harder as you try to go more upscale they are having a real crisis of identity and they have the challenge of their layers of franchise owner operators. And should we try to be a fast casual restaurant or should we continue being fast food? And there's a lot of division. It's been a really interesting story to watch actually is this great American institution is falling apart and they can't 
really find a way to come out of it. Whether or not the Australia model is the one that they should adopt, what I look at is listening to your customer and identifying what they want and then delivering that is a good practice for everyone. You feel the corporate influence though, because you can see like their menu attempts to shift and then their in-house experience goes a different direction and each of them is like their little fiefdom. And Mm -hmm. even in an individual story, like I can tell that this guy who's trying to go here and then this guy that put Wi-Fi in over here didn't really get it. All these different pieces of the experience that are not holistic. There are very few chains that are great at their stores. Going down the road of differentiation, crucial. If they're listening, McDonald's brand police, I've been to their campus. It's very nice. Ironically, it's like in this wooded area in the middle of suburban (laughs) Chicago. There's like hiking trails and cabins. It's very nice. Anyway, mine is a quick and actually PJ found this and allowed me to steal it from her. (laughs) Of course, out of Florida where a woman was being held captive by her husband who was threatening to attack her with a knife. And they had been arguing for quite some time and he was forbidding her from making any outside contact. But it was getting about dinner time and they were hungry. So she was given permission to... He was uh, a boyfriend, but yeah. Boyfriend, sorry. To go ahead and use the app on the phone to order a pizza from Pizza Hut. So she did and she ordered a small pizza and then in the notes she indicated help call 911 I'm a hostage or something to that effect. Pizza Hut actually did call 911 and the police came. I wonder if the pizza came as well. Hmm. I think it did. And then great judgment of the incentives in our society. Which one comes faster? The pizza or the police? (laughs) Pizza Hut saved the day. My first question was if you're the pizza guy and you get this, do you take it seriously? You think someone's messing with you? People mess with the pizza guy like more than anyone else. Well, and to their credit, it sounds like they really did take it seriously. And they actually even had a picture of the slip that came in because, you know, you put your order in online and it generates this slip in the kitchen. And it said basically in every place where you could leave a specification or a note or a special request, she had written, call police, 911 hostage, please get 911. What is funny in retrospect, though, too, is that underneath, please call 911, it says convenience fee. Like, what do you pay to have, have the uh, pizza place call for you? And I hope that people don't start being jackasses and just putting in orders like that as a joke, because it actually is a really good tool for people in that situation. God forbid anybody is. And this was something that the Super Bowl PSA sort of told women to do. I wonder if this was something that she saw in yeah, there, maybe if it just really occurred to effective. herself. Yeah. One of the meta discussions about all of this that really strikes me too is how many different ways we're actually communicating information with each other through so many crazy media. An app about the pizza was used to actually potentially save someone's life. Yeah, That's crazy to me. If you think about every touch point that we could convey some meaning to someone else, whether it be Chipotle toppings or pizza toppings or yo's. (laughs) Well, and she had three children with her also in the house. So Pizza Hut probably saved not only her life, but also the three kids. So there you go. Pizza Hut. Yeah. Well, and kudos to those employees. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how you'd react. Well, you will have to pay for your pizza because there is no free lunch. That was the name of our show this week, episode 55. For all the stuff we talked about, you can check out our show page, graphicmachine.com slash ITTT. You can email us with your comments, suggestions, questions, ITTT at graphicmachine.com. There's a Facebook thread for every show where you can join the conversation about what we talked about. That's at facebook.com slash graphic machine Inc. And you can check us out on Twitter at graphic machine is our agency at their podcast is our show until next week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you then.